Thank you for tuning in to Shift the Plan podcast, where it is never too late to change the game. I'm your host, Rhonda Evans, and here we'll be listening to stories of the everyday woman. How life just, you know, brings you a little bit of obstacles, but what matters is what you do within the shift. This week on Shift the Plan, we'll be talking to Alicia Octavia. Alicia's purpose in life is to decrease the stigma around mental health. Throughout various outlets in her life, she's able to fulfill that purpose in a variety of ways. As a change agent, she provides therapy for individuals to couples who may be dealing with life stressors. In the same capacity, she provides clinical supervision and consultation to other clinicians practicing in the field. As a creative, she is the co-host of a podcast called Two Elephants in the Room, with a purpose of educating the community about mental health and talking about uncomfortable conversations. She's also a lover of words and created a poetry book about five years ago, which is a way for her to tap into her creative side and do something storytelling. In a role of an educator, she often provides training in the community, speaks on panels and events, teaches at Withrop University and UNC Charlotte in the School of Social Work. More recently, she is the creator of the Get Attuned app, where those seeking mental health treatment can connect with someone immediately through this app. So sit back and enjoy and listen to my episode with Alicia Octavia as we talk about mental health and how you can get help right from your phone. Miss Alicia Octavia, I want to start off by saying that like I don't even know where to start because you are a mother, mm-hmm. you are a wife, you are a business owner, you are a mm-hmm. A few things. I got a few things going on. You are wearing all of the hats. So tell our listeners a little bit about who exactly Alicia Octavia is. Sure. So, um, you know, I always tell people I'm a human first. That's my, that's my main role. Um, and my newest role, I'm a mother of twins and, um, I'm a wife. Um, professionally though, I classify myself as a change agent. I really believe, um, in the power of change. So I, provide outpatient therapy and I also teach at the collegiate level um, regarding that and then I train therapists that are coming out of grad school or that are in graduate school as well. That is amazing like you really I like the term change agent because it's not just it's not just a profession like you're there to impact change and to create mm-hmm. people in their lives so I love that Um, title of change agent Um, we were just talking about using the word you know I'm a professional whatever your career is and I think it's it's different and it's more impactful to have those different terms to really be what it is right I definitely am not one to classify myself by what I do Um, and I think it's a little different because some people like their identity is wrapped around their profession and I feel like 
you know, if we stripped all of that away, thinking about just who we would be at the core, you know? Saying that you um, definitely classify yourself differently as the change agent versus just saying, you know, I'm a professional therapist or a counselor or educator mm-hmm. and things like that, but kind of portraying mm-hmm. yourself as more so within the fashion that you're working in. Right. So I love that part about it. So when you, so I like to go back to people before they, you know, got into whatever the arena they are in and the vehicle that they're in now to kind of see Mm -hmm. what led up to that point. So before, when you were growing up, were you younger? Did you always want to be um, as innovative as you are right now with some of the things that you're doing or just really working with people? Um, no, when I was younger, I wanted to be a detective for a long time. And then I thought I was going to be a lawyer. Um, and in college, I actually started out as a nursing major and I was working in a hospital. Um, and then I changed my major. So it wasn't until like my junior year that I switched to social work. And then I've been doing that since. Um, I finished my undergraduate and then my graduate degree in social work. Yes, I think one of our very avid listeners would appreciate the fact that you are um, an alum of Howard University. So she would Uh very much appreciate that. (laughs) Yep. But yeah, it seems like in all of the avenues that you wanted to take prior to social work, it seemed to be in avenues that were helping people um, Mm -hmm. make shifts in their own lives in all of those realms. So when you finally decided on social work, what led to that to say, okay, this is really where I know that I can make the most impact? I hadn't even, I was um, maybe the second person in my family to finish college um and the first person to finish graduate school so I didn't know anything about social work it was I was working in a hospital um on the peds unit um and I saw this lady like meeting with all the families and I was like man I wonder what she does seems like she has a cool job and mm-hmm. I started to shadow her on my breaks and stuff um and I found out she was a social worker so I started looking into it and um my male mentor at the time he also was pursuing social work and I was like talking to him about it and I said oh I think that sounds more like what I wanted to do because at the time nursing school felt like put a band-aid on them and keep keep them moving and then Mm -hmm. social work felt a little more holistic and a little more right to me yeah I think so I love the fact that with social work um you get to dive in a little bit deeper because like you said in nursing you just see them for just that moment you put the band-aid mm-hmm. on it and you send them on their way but in social work like you're really getting deep in to the family needs and helping them like to grow from whatever the situation is that they're in you know to see mm-hmm. to become a better person so when you graduated what was like your first few steps into really diving into the industry of social work from undergrad or graduate school from graduate school um so initially I was going to do uh I was going to do addictions work um I never had a plan I never made plans to be a therapist per se but one of my internships 
in graduate school ended up being me doing therapy and I ended up being pretty good at it and I was like I guess I'll stick with this um even though it wasn't really my plan and initially I was doing um a lot of my early background is individuals who are impacted by HIV and AIDS so I was doing Mm -hmm. therapy with them um and some addictions and when I moved to California I started working with like children and families came here we're still doing families and now um, my focus is just adults and couples I don't really see a lot of um, children Mm, okay so it seems like there was always um kind of like the premise of this show to shift the plan like different things Mm -hmm. happen to where you've made a shift the plan was this but you know you had to shift the plan but the passion always remained the same throughout all of the different shifts so you mentioned that you were in california at one time so what um Mm -hmm. how did you transition from being here in the states to living in south africa for a moment um so the first time i think was in between my first and second year at howard um i had decided to just do this program um and i went to south africa I was doing, I was running groups in the village of Kailisha, and everybody in my group was positive, and their spouse was negative. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I did home visits um, to people who were dying of AIDS, and then um, I did groups with children whose parents had died of AIDS. So when I was in Mm -hmm. South Africa, all of my work was focused on HIV and AIDS. I did it for free. Um, and I wasn't going to come back. Honestly, I was there. I was feeling like really safe and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was really enjoying the work that I was doing. One thing about me, I don't like for people to be taken advantage of. Um, yes. but I had to come back because I was still in school. I just remember writing <laughs> emails to my boss and my <laughs> professor and I was like, yeah, I don't think I'm coming back. And I'm like, yeah, you <laughs> need to finish your degree. <laughs> But I always said that I would go back, um, maybe retire there. That is awesome. Like, it's a lot of people who, like you said, you did it for free. You went over there because of, you know, they needed someone there that was really going to care more than just about going over there to get a paycheck. Like, you Mm -hmm. were dealing with children who parents had, you know, um, HIV and AIDS. And how was that experience like? Because I'm pretty sure that at some point in time, some of those children became orphans, so, orphans, so to speak. Yeah. So when I was an undergraduate, one of my professors was like going through different populations. You know, we were trying to figure out like what, what we were going to do. Because the nice thing about social work is the degree is very broad. And so mm-hmm. you can work with a variety of populations. And I remember her telling us that the two populations that had the least amount of workers and the 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 more the um strongest stigma was people impacted by HIV and then people impacted by addiction mm-hmm. and so when she told us that and I just started doing more research I just I wanted to be an advocate for them um and like I said it just goes back to I really don't like people to be taken advantage of and I don't like mm-hmm. for people to be um you know stigmatized or marginalized so the work was always a passion I I never had a fear of like contracting HIV or anything like that um Mm -hmm. my passion was always around um just normalizing things for them yeah 
making it as normal as it can be because I mean it's not mm-hmm. anything that's gonna go away but life does have to go on so yeah making it as normal as possible um can be should definitely be the agenda when you came mm-hmm. back home I know that now part of your practice is working with um that same classification of you know people even though you do a lot of different areas at your practice mm-hmm. is it did you see a big difference from the people you work with in South Africa that may have um, had it or here in the U.S. or is it pretty much the same? Um, I've seen a difference, uh, believe it or not, just between the states. So when I used to do work in New York and D.C. and California, people just treated mental health very differently than they do here. Here it's just a lot of, you know, just a lot of stigma, a lot of we can pray it away. I had one client say, can we go meet at a coffee shop and just hang out? And I'm like, no, this is a professional <laughs> relationship. Um, yeah. Some people want to call it counseling instead of therapy. So, I mean, honestly, the, the reoccurring theme here and in South Africa was just people's shame. Like, there was just a lot of shame and just a lot of disbelief. Like, this is not who I am or I'm better than this or how did this happen to me? And so I think that's pretty much the same across the board. But like I said, in New York, in D.C., in California, people are much more open to seeking help. And mm-hmm. it's not such a it's not as much of a stigma as it is here. Yeah, you hit um, on something really important, I think. It, and I didn't even think about it as much because um, I'm originally from Michigan. But here mm-hmm. being in the South, it's, it's like, OK, no, we just need to, you know, like you say, pray it away. Like it's not anything mm-hmm. that, you know, I need to go see anybody for. And a lot of times things get so untreated till something really bad happens. Um, exactly. Yeah. I, I, that's why I was so excited about doing this particular interview with you, because I think mental mm-hmm. health is something that gets swept under the rug far too mm-hmm. often. Um, or you have a lot of people who don't even realize it, like even for someone like myself, for example, dealing with death. When I both of my parents um, passed away, I didn't deal with it. Mm-hmm. I just kept it moving. And I think a mm-hmm. lot of people do that. Um, yeah. So in your profession, you know, let's talk a little bit about why it's so important to seek help when it comes to mental health. Um, you know, I tell people all the time, I, it's one of those things, like if something was going on with your teeth, you go to the dentist, like if you broke a bone, you would go to the doctor. Like I want us to treat our mental health the same way. So a huge part of my work every month, um, at least once a month, I get out in the community and I do something for free whether mm-hmm. it's a training or a presentation, because I want to educate people first. Like, that's, mm-hmm. that's what's going to change things for us, just people being educated. Um, and then, too, I see, I do some pro bono work. Like, I see some clients for free um, often, <laughs> actually. <laughs> so, uh, um, I think education is key. And so... I think in order for things to change, the more educated people are and the more that it's normalized, I think people will be more open. Um, As much as I hate feeling like mental health is becoming a fad, Mm -hmm. I kind of like that celebrities talk about it because it gets people talking about it. But what I want to avoid is like, you know, armchair therapists. So there's some people going and getting advice from people who don't have the education or the license or the experience. Like I want to avoid that. But I do like that there are so many people talking about it, it's encouraging people to seek the help that they need. 
Yeah, I agree. I don't want it to ever be to where it's something that, oh, it's here today, gone tomorrow, because, you know, yeah. growing up, it's like, oh, it, from our parents' perspective, it's something we don't talk about, you know? Mm-hmm. And now, with my children's generation, it's more so like, no, we go seek help. You know, I need to tell mm-hmm. somebody that I'm hurting. I need to tell right. somebody that I need this help. And so I don't want right. that to ever go away. So you hit on something <laughs> really important. It, can you explain the difference between, you know, a therapist and a counselor? Because mm-hmm. I think that most people don't even know the diff- that part of the differences. So I'll go, a, I'll go a little deeper than that. So in order to be a therapist or a counselor, you have to have a graduate degree. So you have to have a four-year degree first and then a graduate degree. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have a graduate degree in social work, marriage and family therapy, counseling, or a doctorate in psychology. Mm-hmm. Or be a medical doctor, which is a psychiatrist, somebody who prescribes medication. Um, in order to be a licensed therapist, after you get the degree, you have to be supervised by someone who's licensed, and then you have to take a test, and then you become a licensed therapist or counselor, whatever you want to call yourself. Um, but there are people who are like life coaches. That's not the same. I don't right. know. I don't know the background for life coaches, but a life coach is not a therapist or a counselor. A mentor is not a therapist. Um, there are some like Christian-based counselors, and you just have to be you know, you just have to be mindful and ask them, like, what education do they have? Because there are some people who, like, oh, I went to seminary school. Like, that doesn't make them a therapist. Like, that makes mm-hmm. them a minister. Like, two right. totally different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have some people who do, like, faith-based counseling. But even with that, like, you still have to have that degree first, the license, and then they may have, like, a specialization in faith, faith-based counseling. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think that's important for people to know because that that shame part of it may make them mm-hmm. reach out and seek someone who probably does not have the the education or the level of you know certifications that will give them the help that they really need versus them just mm-hmm. sitting down with someone just having a conversation. <laughs> that's pretty much it. Yeah. So or you yeah. know, there's a lot of social media people out there who are you know boasting about mental health and they're speaking from their own experience and they might even be speaking from um them seeing their own therapist right but that doesn't mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that everything they have to offer is for that, them. yeah right yeah. exactly totally true so you have um a practice called building endurance so Mm-hmm. Did you immediately know I wanted to go into practice for myself or um, was it something that was just like, wow, okay, I can do this? No, um, I came here and I was working for an agency and I was like, hmm, if they can do it, <laughs> I'm sure I could do it. Uh, and I would, I would meet interns and therapists and I would be like, who... Like, I've always, because my professors were such a huge impact in my life, I always wanted to be impactful in that way. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, well, if you have your own agency, you can take in interns, you can train them, you can teach them. Like, yes. another passion of mine outside of decreasing the stigma is really creating competent clinicians. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want people out here going to therapists who are incompetent. Mm-hmm. Um, so those were the two reasons I decided to start my own practice. Um, at the agency I was at, I was like, 
I could do this myself. And then I said I wanted to um, really be able to train um, and teach therapists. Yeah, I see that your practice is really huge. Like I was just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. I was like, she has a lot of people on you her You think team. so? I do, because you know, when I see people sometimes, um, I go to their website and they may have like mm-hmm. maybe two or three other people in there, but mm. no, no. <laughs> I don't doing... think we're that big. Really? Mm-hmm. I think that, you, I, well, I think that you guys are a good size. I, I, was, mm-hmm. I was glad to see that the diversity and the, the size um, that I saw when I, when I looked at the website. Um, did You're you, making me look at the website like. <laughs> like, wait a minute, how many people really <laughs> is there? But yeah, when I go to other um, sites, it's like maybe two or three people in the in the practice. Yeah. That's about it. But um, with you having that, that background and wanting to educate um, the clinicians that come in, did you have any part of that with the people that were uh, that work with you? Um, so I used to supervise two of the people that are at the practice, um, and I trained one of them. Um, one of my colleagues, we went to school together, and then the other two or three, um, I give some supervision to, some oversight. Yeah. I think that, I think that that is awesome. I think that you just wanting to pour back into people and help them to get to those levels, I think is huge because they could just go to school and get their degree and come in and really not really know the ins and outs of it. And because you're so passionate about the industry, like you're really pouring into them and helping them really get a full idea of what this is and the impact that they really are having on people. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm really, um, I don't want people to come into it thinking that it's one thing and it's really something else. So mm-hmm. that's the other thing too, just trying to make sure people understand like, you know, this is what it could look like if you decide to do mental health, because there are a lot of other options. Like I've had interns come and then they go do school social work or they go to the prison or, you know, there's just different options. But if they're trying to do community-based mental health, like this is what it could potentially look like. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to mental health, what do you think um, people who don't have any idea or who come from that generation of we don't talk about it, but now it's in front of us, what signs should people look for to say, okay, I need to listen more and speak less and understand what's really going on with my family member or my friend? Um, I tell people all the time, one of the main signs is you're not feeling like yourself. Like, we all know how we feel on a day-to-day basis. And if it's ever a moment that you're not feeling like your your regular self, like, that's a sign. Um, just some other key things to be on the lookout for, excessive use of substances, um, crying without being provoked, isolating, not being able to go to school or work. Um, just... Anytime you're doing anything in excess or with a deficit, so not eating or overeating, not sleeping or sleeping too much, those are the signs. But I, I tell people all the time, if you think something's going on, the best thing to do is just go and try to talk to somebody um, and let them do an assessment and let them um, let you know. Mm-hmm. Let you know exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. So Instead of you guessing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. 
because it can do more harm than good for just exactly. guessing and not really knowing. Mm-hmm. So you are also a podcast host mm-hmm. <laughs> of mm-hmm. Elephants in the Room. So how does that come about? Um, my co-host, Erin, uh, is also a Delta and a um, therapist. And she came to me, um, I guess almost two or three years ago now, and was like, do you want to do a podcast? And at first, I didn't even know um, what a podcast was. And she kind of explained it to me. And I was like, oh, okay, that sounds pretty cool. And so we started and we've been um, doing the show ever since. That is awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, it's it's a brand new thing for me. You know, I don't have the two, three years in the game like mm-hmm. you guys, but you know, it's a brand new thing, but it's, it's so rewarding. I think that we all start for different reasons, but you know, mm-hmm. the end of the game is just, it's so, re- it's rewarding to see what the outcome of it is. So tell yeah. our listeners a little bit about what your podcast is about. So Two Elephants is, uh, we, we, Aaron calls it edutainment. So <laughs> we talk about, <clears throat> we talk about mental health, especially mm-hmm. as it impacts minority. Um, and then we try to make it fun. So um, we talk about mental health. We talk about things that may be uncomfortable to the people, which is where I came up with the the term elephant in the room. Um, Mm -hmm. We talk about topics that are probably uncomfortable. And then we try to kind of make light of it and also provide some education around it. I think that that's that's awesome. Is that how it turned into you coming up with um, your app, like getting more of the awareness out there for people? Mm-mm. The app was a totally different idea, totally separate. Oh, wow. So let's talk about this mm-hmm. innovation because from moving from being in the industry and just being in front of it to turning over to the to the techie side of it, how did that mm-hmm. even come about or what were the emotions <laughs> of like, wait a minute, am I sure I want to do this? <laughs> So um, last year in November, I was sitting with one of my interns. So one of my interns has been with me for almost two years now. So it's been nice to kind of watch her grow. She did her first year with me. Now she's in her second year. She'll be graduating in May. Um, We were sitting around and um, I was like, man, uh, I need to make some passive income. And I need to figure out like how to get in front of the stigma. Like I need to be thinking of another way. and we were just kind of sitting there and I was like, man, what if I, what if I created an app? And she was like, I mean, that would be cool. How are you going to do that? I was like, I don't know. I definitely uh, <laughs> I'm gonna need some help. I was like, but you know, if people had an app that they can just kind of reach the therapist that way, they may feel better reaching out to them. Um, so we work at the stigma, but then too, like it may make people want to access help more frequently um mm-hmm. instead of calling or instead of going on the internet mm-hmm. and then it just kind of transpired from there I mean it started out as a really small project and it's morphed into a really big project <laughs> um <laughs> so it launched um on February 1st and we are I currently have <coughs> excuse me therapists in six states Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had maybe like 500 users, like try the app out. So that's awesome. Really right now, um, my goal is to have a therapist represented in every single state. So mm-hmm. trying to figure out how do I market on a national level? Like how do I appeal to people? So it's interesting because 
therapists are really, really weary about advertising, um, mm-hmm. especially if it's something that they don't know. They're just kind of like, mm, I don't know about this, or, you know, uh-huh. this is new. So a lot of it has just been grassroots, like me emailing, me calling, me messaging, me speaking at events. Um, things are really about to pick up. Um, so I'm interested to see if I hit my goal. My goal is 500 therapists by, I said June. So oh, wow. we'll see. Yeah. Yes. I think that that's going to be awesome. I think that with this, uh, I can't even understand why anyone would not want to be a part of it because, like you said, it keeps it keeps people from that feeling of shame feeling. Like they could go yeah. on the app and they can connect with someone and be open and honest about it versus them feeling like I got to call someone or someone's going to overhear me or just even feeling like I don't want to go into someone's office right at this moment. But this way it helps connect them to somebody right when they need it. Mm-hmm. So I think that that is amazing. So when it came to putting, making this app come to light, like were there moments where you was like, no, no, I'm not even going to do it. Um, every time I had to spend money. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, man, this is a lot of money. Um, <laughs> and you know, it's just one of those things where, like, either this is going to be a huge thing or it's going to be, like, a huge learning lesson. And it's been it's been rewarding so far, but I don't think people understand, like, a true startup. And you now that I think about it, like, my practice was a startup, right? Like, I started mm-hmm. the, the practice from nothing. I used my own money. I didn't take any business loans or anything like that. But it just felt different because my practice is very local. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I hear from people in other states, but I don't have to – the only overhead I have to manage is right here. With the app, I'm trying to reach all the corners of the U.S., so it's a little different. I had to market different. I had to put myself out there different. And I really am not a fan of, like, the public (laughs) knowing so much about me. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, for me to want to take this to the level that I want to take it to, I had to come to terms with a few things and just change, like, my own um, idea of social media and my own idea of marketing. So it's taught me a lot so far since November for sure that is awesome like you know we do we have to kind of put ourselves in them uncomfortable situations and be like okay this is bigger than me so I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna do it and Um, you just have to ask yourself is the is the risk is the reward better than the risk you know everything is a risk every relationship everything that you that you put your hand on is a risk so you just Mm -hmm. for me it's like okay this is a risk but is the reward going to be greater Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it usually is it is yeah especially when it's something that you're very passionate about it is the reward is always going to be greater because mm-hmm. it's not about the other stuff it's about the other people mm-hmm. yeah so recently you posted about um you going up front um before shark tank what made mm-hmm. you decide to do that and how was that experience so um i just randomly saw a post on instagram um, I'm not a TV watcher, um, mm-hmm. but I, I kind of had an idea of what Shark Tank was, but I knew that it had something to do with startups. So I saw the post. I was like, oh, let me see what this is about. Um, and I had never pitched my idea to anybody um, mm-hmm. outside of potential investors. And even then, I didn't really have to pitch. It was just like me talking to them. So I was like, man, if nothing else, this would be good practice for me to 
talk about the app because I am going to be at different conferences and things coming up where I ain't going to have to pitch in front of a large audience. So I was like, oh, this will be, this will be cool. Um, so I went and I mean, I wasn't nervous. My thing is like for what's for me is for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, With everything that I do, I just kind of feel like, you know, there's something that's going to be learned from it. And so it was a good experience. I'll find out in another week or so if I made it to the next round. So, it's, it's, you know, if I make it, I make it. If I don't, I don't. But I like the experience. Yeah. Yeah. The experience alone, because it's not too often that you get to put yourself in that type of an arena and to be able to mm -hmm. speak on something that that's yours, that's your baby, that you love. Um, and pitching but is hard anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> the more practice, the better. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. Yes. The more practice, the better. Yes. So, yeah. I, I think no matter what the outcome is, there's always going to be some type of a reward. I think about how uh, Melissa Butler went on Shark Tank and they completely was like, no, mm. this is going to be nothing. And here she is just doing it with the lip bar. So, hey. Yeah. I didn't know she went on Shark Tank. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yep. They they did not like her idea huh. whatsoever, but I guess she showed Wow. <laughs> That's a hell of a story. I gotta look that up. Yes, yes, yes. Um it's huh. I think it's on YouTube. Um and she's she's talked about it publicly before, but yeah. So no matter what the outcome is, like you said, what's for you is for you and your your path is gonna be whatever it is. But I think that this is a it, it's an awesome, awesome um idea and now it's it's mm -hmm. come to fruition and now it's an app and now you know we just need the people to get behind it to make it be bigger than what it is listen every day i do something small whether i'm reaching out to therapists or reaching out to people to write a story or trying to share my story every single day something small so i just keep telling myself it'll pay off you just gotta do something small <laughs> every day yeah that's like that yeah. um i think i think it's a book but I've talked about it in ex <laughs> extensively with a friend of mine um, about doing just the one thing, just doing yep. one thing every single day and it'll mm -hmm. grow into what you need it to be. Mm -hmm. So before we end our interview, and I thank you for coming on. Like I said, I was very excited when you responded because I'm like, yeah before it's like oh I have some awesome dope friends that are on the show but it's mm -hmm. like no I really wanted her on the show <laughs> and she yeah, was funny. <laughs> yeah I so, appreciate it I like you know I like um I just like encouraging people especially I want people to know that like sometimes you fail at things and then you just try again you know exactly. you're not gonna you're not gonna always be number one and that's okay it is. It is okay because you'll get to where yeah. you have to be. So, yeah, I appreciate you yep. coming on and talking to our listeners about your journey. Mm -hmm. And so now they can follow you and see what's to come with it, you know, invest in it if they are investors, just whatever it is that's supposed to happen from this interview. I definitely hope that that happens. So, for sure, um, for sure. So, I do a little segment called, um, time capsule where I ask you a series of five questions um and so that way people can come back and learn from it you know so the quest first question is what would you tell your younger self uh don't grow up so fast it's not what they it's not what it's not what uh what you think it is 
<laughs> Stay <laughs> young. <laughs> no to self. I should have said the same thing. Wait a minute. Hold up. It'll come. Um, yeah. Question number two. What keeps you sane throughout this whole process? Um, definitely my faith, um, for sure. And my husband and the twins. And I just have, like, a lot of good people supporting me from just friends to sorority sisters. Um, I had a lot of good people behind me. So that's definitely what keeps me together. Yes. Having a huge, having a support system in general, I think makes a mm -hmm. tremendous difference in whatever it you're does. doing. So yeah, I'm pretty sure without your support system, like you're a new mom and everything. Like, uh -huh. <laughs> and you are doing amazing things. So yes, kudos mm -hmm. to your support system. Yeah, um, awesome. The next question is, what tools help you the most? Uh, definitely my planner. <clears throat> I don't suggest anybody try to get through life without a planner. Mm -hmm. um, I am a huge, I have probably like 55 notebooks. I'm always like mm -hmm. writing and finding new ways to be creative. Mm -hmm. um, if I could, so my husband's an artist full time. And if I, you know, I like to think that I'm an artist because I've published a book in the past, but I really, um, I need like pen and paper. I need to be able to write things. I need to be able to yeah. be creative in that way. So you mentioned that your husband is an artist and so are you. Mm -hmm. um, on mm -hmm. your site, the, uh, the art that's on there, is that by you or your husband? By me. That was gorgeous. I was like, oh, <laughs> and I wanted <laughs> to see more. <laughs> so I was like, this is nice. I like this. So yeah. yeah, go to the website. It will be in the show notes, you guys, so you can see yep. her art and place you an order. So <laughs> yep. uh, the next question is, what is the name of another shift maker that is going under the radar that people need to know about? Hmm. Under the radar. Mm I mean, I don't know if she's under the radar, but I have a friend, um, her name is Fabian. She's a DJ out of New York. And she's super talented. Um, she paints as well. She does some event planning. And so okay. I definitely think she is a shift maker in her community in New York, for sure. Awesome. Awesome. What's her um, handle on Instagram? Uh, Fab Rocks. Fab Rocks? F-A-B-R-O-C. Yes. Okay. Awesome. I will link her information in the show notes as well so other people can connect with her um, from the show. Yeah. And last, what are you most thankful for throughout your journey? Oh, my sanity. <laughs> At any moment, <laughs> things could all come crashing down. <laughs> so I think definitely my sanity for sure. Yes, yes. That is a huge one. <laughs> That is a huge one. Well, thank yep. you once again for joining us on Shift the Plan. Um, yep. Guys, make sure that you are subscribed so you do not miss this episode. And let our listeners know where can they find you at on social media. Um, definitely uh, Building Endurance, PLLC, and Get Attune, G-E-T-A-T-T-U-N-E. Um, the website is the same, getassume.com and then buildingendurance.com. 
Awesome, awesome. All of that information will be linked in the show notes. And I want you guys to always remember, it does not matter what situation that you're going through. It always matters what you do in this shift. Thank you for listening to Shift the Plan podcast. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure that you are subscribed and that you rate this episode as well as leave a review. Let me know what you think as well as any questions you may have for the guests that was on the episode today. Now, some exciting news. If you haven't already seen it on my uh, Shift the Plan podcast or my personal page, The Rhonda Evans, we are now a whole tribe, y'all. I know it has evolved from just me having the idea to starting the podcast to now wanting to connect with more individuals who are shift makers, those who are making an impact in different areas in the community and education, mental health, and just what that foundation of building families are. Um, And so I'm excited to announce that we are now an organization called Shift Makers Charlotte. So you can head on over to our Instagram page at shift.makers.clt and take a look at what we have going on. And you can also go directly to the website at shifttheplan.com backslash join the tribe.